1: My name is Rich Schmidt, uh, I'm here at Chehalem Winery with Katie Santora. It's March 15th, 2019, uh, and Katie, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for coming. Uh, we're going to start by asking you, uh, why wine?
0: Um, that is a great question, and I don't think it's a very, well, everyone has their own story why wine, but um, my story getting into wine, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, so, obviously not a ton of wineries in Utah, even though there are, I think, three or four now, so a couple in Moab, um, but what happened is that I wanted to leave Utah to go to college and didn't necessarily know what I wanted to study, and so I went to the University of Oregon, actually, for my freshman year. and. Didn't find anything that I was really passionate about. I made great friends, but no like best friends. So didn't have anyone I wanted to live with sophomore year. Um, And then my great friends from Utah went to a community college in Southern California. And I was like, you know, I should just go live with my best friends and play soccer down there and try and get in-state tuition. And California is huge. So hopefully, down the road a passion will come up and then I'll be able to get in state and go to the school that I want to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, Between those summers I was back in Utah and my dad's really good friend was in the kitchen with us and um, he was like you know grilling me as a 19 year old on like what are you doing with your life like you're moving to another school you're going to community college what's that all about and he was like, you know what you should study? He, sh- he said, you should study winemaking. I went to UC Davis for nursing school and they have a great winemaking program. Um, and I kind of laughed at him and said, no one does that. And that's not taken seriously. And then for whatever reason, really didn't know what I wanted to study. So looked into what the program entailed. And it was extremely science-based, which I excelled in in general, but didn't want to commit to being a doctor and didn't want to be in a lab as a scientist. Um, And so I kind of thought, well, maybe this could work in the beginning and I could use it to travel and have all these generals out of the way for science that maybe in like five years, if it doesn't work out, I can um, not start over, but then, you know, continue on whatever journey was next. But um, anyway, through that process, I was able to get into school at UC Davis and I loved the program and it was very science-based, um, but then went kind of traveling around the world and worked in New Zealand and Australia and California um, and Oregon. Um, and 08 was my first vintage in Oregon and I think just a balance between the science and nature and being able to see the seasons is so special while having that kind of balance that that's what's kind of kept me around in wine. And then just in Oregon in general, I feel very lucky to call this place or have found this place home because the industry here seems so collaborative and inclusive um, that that really only I think helps at least my view on why I want to stay in an industry because it has all the things that I need as a person. You know, science, it challenges me and always questions all the science questions that I have. Um, but I get to be about a part of the seasons and growing and nature and all that. But then as an industry, anything that I question, I feel very comfortable and confident that I can ask our peers and everyone really wants Oregon to succeed. And so it's really inclusive and not like other places that seem very, um, like, we are the best winery in the world. It seems like we're all in this kind of together to show the world that Oregon has great wine. So it was kind of a journey of why wine. Uh, You know, that's like not an easy, that was a long answer to probably an easy question. But um, I'm sure like a lot of people say with wine, once you start learning more and more, it's this like never ending rabbit hole where you are like, oh, I've got it. And then it just keeps going. And I think that's kind of, why wine for me it's never just one thing It changes as the year changes
1: was there a moment at UC Davis when you thought this is something you wanted to do long-term and not just as a kind of an entry into science while you figured yourself out
0: no Davis was I would say I feel very privileged and lucky and they have amazing teachers um, but it is very very science-based so very academic Um, I think it happened more when I had some really difficult harvests in other places with um, that really challenge you as a person. Um, yeah, I, I find that difficulties, at least in my life, I, that's where I come out once they're over on the other side and go, wow, I learned this about myself or I learned that I really like this about life. And um, there were a couple of vintages in particular that really pushed me to my physical, emotional, mental, you know, capacities that just felt really impossible. Mm-hmm. And coming out on the other side, you really find these valuable like treasures, whether it, you know, when I was pruning in Australia and it rains on you, but like, I've never felt closer to like the seasons and how the earth kind of evolves altogether cause you're just in it every day. Or it's, you know, those, super long vintages, but you make amazing friendships that you would never be able to make as adults. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find friends as adults and when you go through something that's as trying with people, you like have these relationships that last forever. Mm-hmm. And those, things, those are, I think, the moments that keep me like, inspired and wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, school was kind of like my gateway into it, mm-hmm. and I'm extremely grateful for it. But like, the thing that like, kept me or put the hooks into me were those like, really tra- trying times mm-hmm. to learn more and try and become you know, whoever I'm supposed to be out there
1: when you were deciding that you wanted to travel and do harvests in other parts of the country or other parts of the world how did you decide where to go and how did you make it happen
0: um so my first vintage was in california and that was pretty simple because of school there was a ton of contacts with um the university and so that was pretty easy going to california and seeing what the california industry had um, and then, with New Zealand, it's a lot of the industry is contacts or who people know. Um, I find that even on our end, when interns come to us, if someone that we've worked with has recommended them, they almost have, like, a pass in because someone else is vouching for um, how hard they work, even if they're really green or don't know it the industry well. If a friend is vouching for them, it's easy to be like, come on in, we got you because we take that person. So there were a couple vintages that were like that um, in New Zealand for sure. And then in Oregon, it was the same word of mouth, knowing someone. um, I had actually worked a vintage in California, my second one in California. And it was a bit earlier in 08 and ended a bit earlier. And so I was able to leave and then come up here cause 08 was a later vintage in Oregon. And so came here and worked almost like a double vintage, which is insane. And I would not recommend it to anyone ever, but it worked out and just loved the vintage here. Um, but that was word of mouth of being a friend saying I think this winery could use an extra person they've already started but since you're kind of already in it you know i can talk to them and see if you can come up and it worked out um yeah i think the only really lucky just kind of like passing my resume on and hoping that it worked out was um, the vintage i did in australia and it was just i heard of the area in margaret river and how amazing and beautiful it was and i was like I want to go there and just blasted my email out and really didn't hear from many places um, except for one, and then it worked out. So it's lucky. It's mm-hmm. kind of a toss in the ring, but um, yeah, I would say a lot of it is who you know.
1: Mm-hmm. So when you got out of school, you had some experience in the field already. You had you had your education. What did you? What were your sort of expectations? As you entered the wine industry, and, and and then what was the reality as you as you sort of started getting your feet wet?
0: Um, I think my that's a great question. That was a long time ago. Um, it's what well, I guess my expect. I didn't know what to expect of actually working in a cellar. Um, so much of my schooling was very academic, mm-hmm. like I said, and so much of seller work is so physical and a lot more, um, I like to call them like life jacks in the world where an accident or something happens and you have to use what, almost like a MacGyver, look around you and see what's there to help you fix it, uh, which I enjoy and I think is when you can actually make it work, it's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think schooling prepared me with all the like bacteria that I used to know and all you know all the scientific terms didn't prepare me for that um so it was like a twofold i it's like I'm, the schooling now has given me the confidence and strength to always go back to my science roots mm-hmm. and to be able to go um you know, this fermentation we're having an issue with, like really break it down and understand on the scientific level what we're missing Mm -hmm. if it's not in the cellar, but the practical experience day to day of just like working in a winery, I think is just as valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes almost overshadowed, Um, you know, the industry is getting more and more. If you don't have an education, it's harder to get some of the higher up roles. Mm-hmm. Where I personally think, if someone's worked at a vineyard or winery for many years, they know they know the pulse of the place, mm-hmm. which is something you can't teach. Um, so much of winemaking, I think, really is understanding those seasons and the cyclicalness mm-hmm. and the minute changes that happen every year. That. If you don't actually spend time seeing that and learning that, it, yeah, I can't tell you what it is. Like I can't go during this hot vintage, this is what you need to expect because during that hot vintage, there might be really cold nights, which, you know, change it just slightly. So it's, um, I think it is a twofold uh, and that one's not better than the other and they both really benefit each other in the end.
1: So once you got to Oregon, tell me about where you, where you worked first and kind of your, your experiences there.
0: Yeah. So the 08 Vintage that I came a little later, I actually worked at Rex Hill. Um, and the community over there is just amazing. And it was a lot smaller back then before it is now none of the new construction and beautiful buildings are at it now. I've been able to watch across the street and be like, "Ooh, I, I knew you when, you know. <laughs> um but they have such an amazing group of winemakers there with Cheryl and Sam and Michael um, and their assistant winemakers at the time that it was just an amazing experience, a great group to be able to you know, I didn't know I wanted to stay in Oregon when I came up here, what the next step was, but after that vintage, it really was like, this is a special industry and in place. Um, so then I really did want to stay, and from word of mouth, um, I was able to get a seller hand position at Domaine Serene for about a year and a half, which I worked with amazing people as well and some of them are still some of my best friends to this day Um, yeah learned a ton and domain serene works with amazing fruit and has a spectacular facility that's beautiful and very different than ours now but it's great to see both sides of everything Um, they also have a million different ferments, which really pushes your organizational skills. So as a cellar hand, my first full-time job in the wine industry, it really was pushing all those limits of like organization, keeping things separate, keeping things clean because everything was immaculate there. Um, It was, I think, I mean, I'm very grateful for that first step into the industry. Um, But then the like pulls of traveling again, like get at you. So I wanted to leave and go travel again. Um, So I actually went back to Rexhill for another vintage in 2010 and then went to Australia for about 10 months. Then talked to uh, my good friend Wynne, who is one of the um, past owners here. And she was in need of finding an assistant winemaker. And so we were in contact, and it ended up working out that I got the position here, and so have been here uh, ever since.
1: So, tell me about a little bit about that process of uh, kind of planting your roots as an assistant winemaker at a place, and how you said so you, you know you knew Wynn and and you got you were in contact with her. So, tell me about the process of actually like getting here and deciding this was the place for you.
0: I had known Win, so I went to school with Win at UC Davis, so mm-hmm. we had a relationship. friends for you know five years five seven years before that and um, I think once I had come up here and seen Oregon and really realized that I loved the wines and the industry up here that I think I always wanted to come back it's just the traveling aspect when you're younger is so amazing to be able to go to these unreal places like I mean, I never was able to go do a vintage in Europe, but Europe, um, South America, New Zealand, Australia, where you get to go and spend like three months in one place, there's something that, it's almost ruined traveling for me. (laughs) Because I can't go somewhere for a week anymore because it doesn't feel like I get the full picture of what the um, community is like down there. Um, And so... Being a bit younger, I wanted to go do that again. But once I went to Australia for 10 months and then I went to South America, you get to a point where you're like, I'm ready to like settle down. And I think that was that next step. And going to these different places and seeing the cultures and industries, you really realize if you're gonna settle down where you would want to. Um, And so Oregon was, I think, always kind of pulling me back. Mm -hmm. And then it just, you know, whether it was gonna be an assistant winemaker or an enologist, um, I felt like I was ready for that next step. And so with the assistant winemaker position coming up at Shehalem, it seemed like the perfect time to kind of like go, okay, this is the time, you know, to take advantage of it and really try to go for this, Um, which I'm extremely grateful for. I'm still here, (laughs) many years later.
1: Tell me about um, stepping into that role as wine maker at a winemaker here at a kind of legendary Willamette Valley Winery with with Harry and Wynn and all that. Tell me kind of about your experiences getting into the position, getting into the role.
0: Um, I always like to tell people, and even myself, that when new people start at wineries, you know, everyone in a new job is gung-ho and they want to be the best, but um, the industry is like a year long process, and so every part of the year is kind of different. Mm-hmm. So, even if you are very, ex- like, extremely capable of every aspect, every winery does it slightly different. And so, it's, I guess, I came into it hoping that my skills would be helpful to win in Harry, um, but then also hoping to be quiet and humble enough to watch Mm -hmm. and learn from their years of experience in this industry and to listen, taste with them, see, you know, what they find, um, as very common threads through the vineyards, Mm -hmm. um, is extremely lucky we get to work with vineyards in three of the six, is it six or seven now, seven now AVAs. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we really get to see a diversity of the fruit that kind of is in the Willamette Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to really be able to sit in tastings with Wynne and Harry and hear you know, their years of experience and um, historical information, it was just, I mean, a huge factor of being able to like, again, build my building blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon's going through quite the phase of like implants coming to Oregon and it's extreme in the last few years but I was one of them and so to not pretend that I didn't grow up here but to really be respectful and um, grateful for this opportunity to come in and try and help the Chehalem legacy continue on Um, whether or not I stay here forever or go somewhere else there's always a legacy at a winery that is much before me or the person before that. Um, before Wynn, the winemaker, Mike Ayers, had been here for 11 years. And then Cheryl from Rex Hill was the winemaker. So there's just, once you start looking into the history of it, it's really fascinating and kind of combines, once again, everyone together. Cause it's not just, it's not just you in that one moment. Um, and if you can take that information to help you Continue moving it on and hopefully as good or better. That's kind of the goal. So I think when I first started here, it was definitely an effort of trying to be as helpful as I can, but also take in as much as I can while, um, you know, trying to see how we can fix or not even fix, but just tweak things Mm -hmm. in different ways. Um, Yeah.
1: So let's talk about the uh, the, sort of the transition that's happened just lately for you with uh, Stoller purchasing Chehalem and you becoming the winemaker here. Tell me a bit about that transition and kind of the. Did you feel you were ready? How has it been in the position since since the change?
0: Yeah. um, The I mean acquisitions are difficult no matter what I feel like and. for good or bad or whatever it is, it's a difficult transition. Um, it was hard seeing Harry and Win not be a part of Shehalem anymore, but also I think there are great benefits to this. These next moments and changes going forward, um, it obviously was extremely beneficial for me, and you know maybe right time, right place, but. Um, I do think almost watching Wynn and Harry and taking their information I hope that Bill Stoller saw that same information in me with the acquisition and so um, it wasn't an instant um, promotion. I had to prove myself and make sure that you know what Chehalem was and wanted to be going forward was what the vision was now under the Stoller Wine Group. I think um, through those changes, everyone was trying to figure out like what is the plan of this new Stoller Wine Group community, and what do we want it to be? Mm-hmm. And I think through those months of figuring it out, it was you know really decided that we still want Shehalem to be a top tier winery with great quality. And um, I think because of my experience at Shehillam and my historical knowledge here and just the effort of really working really really hard through those nine months to prove that I wanted to stay. Um, I was given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been great but difficult, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good and bad thing but kind of going back to even the hardest parts of life and figuring out, you know, is this right? Is this wrong? I think I've learned a lot about myself going through it. Um, The things that were really important to me were my relationship with Wynn and Harry as well. And we still have a great relationship and I cherish that extremely. And so it, still validates the six years that I worked for them and I hope that they can be supportive of me really taking the Chehalem name on into the future as well. Um, So yeah, it's very exciting at the same time.
1: You talk about some of the kind of challenges that have arisen from this, I'm curious, what do you feel like the biggest challenge was what was it was there something you weren't prepared for when you took over when you started being you the winemaker here or was it was it something that came out of that field or is it just kind of evolving into the role
0: um i think it i'm realizing it now but it's more shehalem is the same so we have the same thread here but shahalem is now about a part of a bigger company, the Stoller Wine Group. And so that I think was what I wasn't expecting. Um, so it was it's just now being a part of more people and a bigger entity and a thing, which is great, but then it's learning how to keep the Shehalem thread as well, which mm-hmm. I'm sure um, Stoller is still trying to figure out, um, you know, our new brands, Canned Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, chemistry all these things that are coming out we are very um, we want all these brands to have their own voice and their own thread and not to have them all be the same and so I think as a community and a group we all are finding what that is and hoping that those stories will be separate while being supported by the same group so even though Shehalem is the same, it's totally different in the sense of like the community that it's around. Mm-hmm. So the wines will continue to be consistent, but like the behind-the-scenes business aspect is a lot different. Which I think that was a bit more of a surprise than what I was expecting. But what I was expecting was probably very naive <laughs> as well. <laughs> I had never gone through anything like that, and so. Yeah, you can sit and sleep at night and go, this is how it's gonna be tomorrow. And then it's totally different. And so, um, yeah, it's just realizing like, what I expected wasn't exactly, but that's not a bad thing. It's just learning that this new facet is great. And we have like a ton of support and, our winemaking team is a lot bigger and we have a lot more resources in our like mind community to really um, make every tier that we do like as spot on as we want it to be. Does that kind of answer your question? It sure, very much yeah. does, I, okay. I, I
1: understand, yeah, I get that. I'm curious about the, you, you, you took over a well-known brand name from Friends. I'm curious about the pressure you feel to kind of keep that while also putting your own mark on it? You talked a little bit about it earlier, but tweaking you, I think you said, uh, how do you go about doing that while kind of paying respect to the brand at the same time?
0: Um, I think Shea Halem's winemaking theory in the past has been very transparent to really showcase the vineyards and not you know, manipulate the wine when it comes in too much. And Mm -hmm. I love that theory and I, Am going to continue using that going forward mm-hmm. I think the tweaking part of it is more something that I find very important as an individual once um, I think someone really thinks like this is the way it's done this is the way it has to be that's when things become stagnant and so it's the tweaking is more like just like always trying to look at how processes can be done a little better. Um, if there's a way with transfer, I mean, this is a very minimal example, but transferring wine with like the least amount of oxygen as possible if we're use, doing it with our whites, since Shehalem is known for their aromatic whites. How do we keep that, those aromatics even more vibrant and um, in the bottle so when you get it. So just always kind of asking these questions of how, what are these small things that we can do in the cellar to make it better? Um, this comes from everyone you work with. You know, it is from a question at a tasting that someone can just bring up and say, I was at this winery and why don't you do it this way? And then being like, that's a great question. I'm not gonna be too proud to tell you, I don't know why we didn't do it that way. Let's research it and then go, actually this is why it doesn't work for our um, Mm winemaking philosophy. So I think the continuation of just transparent wines without a ton of manipulation is what I plan on continuing forward. But I'm hoping to guide and show people how to do that, but then also listen to them when they come and go, um, what about this? Mm -hmm. And not being too proud to not listen Mm -hmm. to them. Mm -hmm. So there's almost maybe like the nature and science aspect coming together again. Mm
1: You mentioned sort of uh, transparent wines as kind of your kind of guiding philosophy. I'm curious um, how your winemaking philosophy has developed over the years. Is is that something you kind of started with or have you kind of developed into this idea of less manipulation, more natural?
0: That's a great question. I've never really thought of it like that. Um, I feel like maybe I've always been drawn to places that treat their wines like that. Um, the wine, the wineries that I've worked in New Zealand have been extremely transparent and really wanting to show um, the wines that they make themselves without much manipulation or additions. Um, I definitely have worked at some big places. I worked at a harvest in South America that was just a tank farm and I think definitely valuable in that aspect as well knowing that that's not the direction that I want to go either. And so knowing these things is um, really valuable but going to the wineries that are more about like the vineyard and where the fruit comes from and they take the time to talk about the seasons and Mm -hmm. how that's affecting the grapes that you're getting, I always find myself more interested in, more like compelled in those harvests Mm -hmm. um, and interested in learning more about them. So whether or not I thought about it or whether or not that just was what continued to drive me, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just kind of maybe the path that also was shown to me Mm -hmm. in a weird way, like just opened up to me. And, um, yeah, I just find it very satisfying as well to know that when the season does so much of the work for you. And then I see our job is just hoping that the fruit is as good as we were able to make it in the vineyard that we're then able to just kind of help it along its way without trying too hard to make it something it's not. Mm -hmm. And so, um, It's almost a puzzle piece in itself without being like, we want this pH and this TA and this alcohol. It's more like the balance of the year and figuring out what works um, for that vintage.
1: So what's it it been like being a young female winemaker in the Oregon wine industry?
0: Well, that question's come up a lot.
1: I'm sure
0: it has. And yeah, it's a great question to ask. And I feel extremely extremely lucky to be in Oregon as a woman going through this. And not only that, but at the Solar Wine Group as a woman going through this. um, The Solar, just to start even on a smaller aspect, the Solar Wine Group and even Shehalem with Wynn and Harry um, has always been very, you know, woman focused on the winemaking side of things, whether that was intentional or just was the skilled amount of workers that were there, and it didn't matter if you were a woman or a man, and those were the positions that were there. Um, but to have, to learn from Wynn, obviously, who was a, a woman, and then to come to this bigger company where Melissa Burr, Kate Payne Brown, you know, Jamie is our enologist, Erica is in the Vineyard, all these like strong, confident women that are a part of this company, I almost take it for granted, even though that sounds like so guilty to say, but it's just been here. And so the support has been here in this community. And then if you go even bigger, the amount of talented women that are in Oregon have been here since you know, the beginning basically. So to have that amount of support is just unreal. I feel very lucky to be in this time as a young woman and hoping to continue the fight for us all being equal going forward, but there was so much work done before me that I feel like I'm kind of in this in-between of being grateful and lucky and also, without knowing it, taking advantage of where (laughs) I am now because of everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, With that said, Oregon just was it this week or last week? I think last week. About sixty-seven women got together to talk about the Oregon industry and how things can be done better. What struggles you know women had, and not any sort of bashing. Like we got to come together, but just to like be really honest about the challenges as a woman yeah. that you have and. Um, You know, I'm going through one of them now. I'm recently pregnant and then thank you, but really have had a very hard time of figuring out how to then be like a mom and still be a winemaker and how to balance that life work relationship. Um, And so just those questions, having a peer of people to come to and be able to be like, what do we do? Um, do you have to choose one over the other? How do you do a great job at both of them? I think those, as you become older, are extremely prevalent and valuable questions that need to be posed as all industries going forward of how do we support our community that work for us while supporting their families, mm-hmm. if that's important. but. I think it's important, and I feel valuable or lucky that the Solar Wine Group also finds that important. And um, yeah, I think just continue trying to like make other women's lives easier and show them that we can do everything. Um, Yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I think it is a fine balance. Like, I'm also not under the impression that I'm as strong as a man. So there are definitely things in the cellar where if there's an intern or my brother works in the cellar with us now full time, which I love, but I'm now realizing like, I need to just be like, I can't fight through this, like ask for help. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's, a strength in being vulnerable and being honest about that, and um, for women in general, instead of seeing that as a weakness and more as just like, yeah, I can't do that. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But I can do this and this just as well, mm-hmm. you know, or what, whatever that nuance is, strength is just an obvious one. Um, so it is, it's a fine balance, but hoping to take this amazing position that I've been, that other women have worked for to put me in this spot to like help other people going forward and instead of going like it's been easy for me to continue like reaching out to other women and being like, well, you can do this. Like, we, It stems through all industries. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily just the wine industry. Sorry, I think I went on a it's little a bit really of a good, tangent a there. That's a really good answer. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>
1: um, what does it mean for you for a wine to be labeled as an Oregon wine?
0: um that also has been talked about a lot lately (laughs) and because i'm young and the history of oregon you know i didn't start it so i take a lot of pride in it because i find this place as my adult home i grew up in utah and that's my home when i say home it's like oh i'm talking about utah but this is for definitely my adult home and i find a lot of pride in the vines that have been here before my time. Um, I think it's really important as the Oregon wine industry is getting more acclaimed and well-known and wine makers and owners are coming and buying land that that is still treasured. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what makes Oregon so special is the history that it comes from, you know, the people that started the wine industry here were farmers and they weren't um, millionaires. They took chance that they came here and planted vines hoping that Oregon one day would be an amazing wine region and it is getting there and I again feel very lucky to be here in this time where it so much work has done been done before me but it's gonna be this fine line of losing that thread of history and love of the land and the farmers and I mean we're all farmers and going towards something that's just a wine that has Oregon labeled on it um and that probably will happen too but it's then finding the wineries that stay consistent and true to that um history and thread that will keep Oregon have its i don't know i don't know when i taste an Oregon wine it just tastes like there's like like a secret almost to it with other wines like there's a deeper meaning than just the taste. And so it's not like, oh, this AVA, you see this characteristic. I just think there's a complexity to the wines in general that not that it's, it's just different from other places. And since now I have learned it and know it, I find that very special. And it would be sad to see that go away. Um, so it's a very, like, exocentric <laughs> world way of kind of talking about it. But I think wines show that. And so once a land is really treated to just like overproduce and produce the same thing all the time, I think over time that will be lost. Mm-hmm. And it'll make a great wine, but just I don't think it'll have the Oregon essence that they can have. Sure. Yeah.
1: You talked a lot about kind of the, the seasons of wine, the cycle of wine. I'm curious if, there's a, if you have a, a favorite part of the year, a favorite part of the winemaking cycle that you look forward to the most each year.
0: I mean, now that it's quiet this time where nothing's growing and you can just like catch up on everything after harvest. Um, That's a good question. Um, My favorite cycle of the year. I don't know if it's a favorite time as much as just watching the year. Um, I mean, we just had daylight savings, for example, but to like really be a part of the cycle you see that you wake up and um, I mean I'm not in the vineyard barely at all, so I can't speak from the vineyard workers. But it's dark until now, you know, seven. So seven to seven thirty, if the vineyard team wants to get out into the vineyard, they're not really starting until until that time. You know, they usually start first thing in the morning when the sun's up. As the year goes and it gets warmer, you know, they'll start early and earlier, so it's less hot. Um, so i think just seeing and being aware of those differences that affect the grapes is what um i like about the cycles um in utah you know before the wine industry you know my parents grew vegetables and all those sorts of things that have to do with the seasons but when you really when your crop really depends on each day how wet the winter is, how wet the spring is, you know, once um, bud break happens, if it frosts, we're in so much trouble, or if you know it's flowering and we get a huge rain, that affects us for the rest of the year. So it's not necessarily one thing, it's just that pulse of the whole year of the weather and the sun and the temperature and all that mm-hmm. that that is what I like seeing a part of, and especially with climate change and how things have happened and changed. You really see those like hotter summers, you know, instead of hearing it on the news or from other people, you really like tangibly go like, whoa, this is how I felt that summer. And look at these wines, we can see it in them. Um, So it's yeah, I would say it's more of like the whole year is a cycle as to instead of one moment. Mm
1: Uh, so to kind of shift gears a little bit, we're going to talk about, more about kind of the future of the industry. Start by asking um, what advice you would have for someone thinking of in, in entering the Oregon wine industry today.
0: Um, come. Oregon's <laughs> great. I obviously loved it and stayed after that. Um, I I do think it's a very special place and there is a ton of talent here and so people that want to come to Oregon and really see some amazing wines, um, you should come here. I think what I learned a lot through going to different vintages is when you live in one place, a really special aspect of it is that you get to be a part of it, like more than just even the people and the place, but also the wines you get to taste. So coming here and being able to be a part of this industry right now, you really get to taste amazing wines. And yes, you could probably find a lot of them on the market, but like if you were from New Zealand, you probably wouldn't be able to find that much. So come and taste the wines and see why Oregon's really starting to get, finally, the acclamation that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: Um what about your personal goals for the future do you you kind of talked a little bit earlier about not not necessarily knowing where you want to be for the for forever for the foreseeable future do you have what are, what are your personal goals then uh, what do you want to do in your career
0: um yeah so i mean it's so it's so funny so if i was to be like the world is You can make anything happen, which you can if you really put your mind to it. But now that me and my partner are starting a family, you know, all of our family is still in Utah. Mm -hmm. And so I love the wine industry and I love Oregon and want to stay here as long as possible. But if we want our family closer to family, you know, ideally in my dream world, I'd start a winery in Utah, (laughs) but that's also crazy Um, because it's not there, but possible. It's just taking that huge leap to do that in a place that doesn't have the support or infrastructure or community for that, which is all the things that I love about Oregon. So. Um, will that ever happen? I don't know. I can't say that it won't, but um, for if, I, if we stay in Oregon, I'm extremely content currently, and um, I'm still learning. You know, this job in general from when I started as an assistant has evolved immensely to where it is now. And I think where it is now, there is immense growth down the road mm-hmm. so to not stay and to see where that goes would be um, not giving myself the opportunity whatever that may be so in like the near future i definitely see myself staying here and really strongly like keeping the shehelam thread like shehelam, and i find that like very important and um definitely a goal of mine mm-hmm. for now with that said, I also find if, again, if you're so stuck into one vision, you don't see the other things that are presented to you, whether you expect them or not. Kind of like my dad's friend in the kitchen saying, you should go into wine. You know, if I didn't look it up online, I, who knows what I'd be doing right now? <laughs> like I might be in Utah or something. Um, but being able to like listen to the things around me and see what uh, what opportunities present myself or present themselves to me mm-hmm. whether it's something in this organization or maybe a billionaire will come to me and be like I want you to start a winery in Utah and I'll be like cool that sounds <laughs> great let's try that or whatever it is so yeah i think those are kind of the goals for now in the next like 5 to 10 years
1: mm-hmm. Do you see yourself starting your own label at some point?
0: Um, no. I've really dabbled with it and thought high, like hard about it. Um, and it's it would be very hard for me to keep the passion that I have for the wines at Shehalem mm-hmm. while having a side label that I would want to do well and sell. Um, I do get a small amount of grapes from a guy named Rich Elstrom in um, the Dundee Hills. It makes about like 60 gallons and so I have fun with that and give it to friends and family and I think that'll probably be the extent of what it is because we get experiment on it and there's no pressure on needing to sell it to um, pay for grapes or anything like that. So that's fun, I think as soon as I would start my own label with working, being the winemaker at Shehalem. I would would find a hard pull of like, what is the difference between the two and how do I separate that while still being the type of winemaker I would want to be for both projects. So as of now, no, I'll just take my drinking wine every (laughs) night.
1: (laughs) just Katie's wine just Katie's
0: wine yeah exactly my mom keeps telling me I need to get a label for it so when she brings it out to friends it's not just this like shiner in Utah like Katie did this and they're like what is that it doesn't even look like real or finished so we'll see if that ever happens but maybe that would be the next big step
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Um, where do you see Shehalem specifically and in in the Stoller Wine Group uh, heading in the future, and, and, your, and your role in that?
0: Um. So Shehalem has shifted a little bit since the acquisition. Um, Harry and Wynn were able to take with them about forty-eight acres that um, they planted up on Ridge, Ribbon Ridge, so Ridge Crest, which. Um, before the acquisition, Shehalem was 100% estate grown, so we had three vineyards, um, Ridgecrest, Corral Creek, and Stoller, each in different AVAs. And I think to fulfill that kind of gap in, in between um, the time we are shifting Shahalam more towards like a Shehalem Mountains focused um, brand, where you know, kind of like Stoller. Stoller is Dundee Hills, mm-hmm. I mean, it's Dundee Hills Stoller Vineyard exclusive, but Shehalem um, will be more Shehalem Mountains mm-hmm. focused. Um, in the interim, we have bought property up oh. on Bell Road, about 112 acres. And that's gonna be planted this fall. And so the goal of Shehalem, I think is, I'm pretty sure is to become as, as a state grown as we can again. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then we will be sourcing fruit from amazing farmers within the Shehalem mountains to kind of fill that gap. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that interim, things will, you know, change a little bit, but I'm I'm personally really excited because I love the Shehala Mountains AVA and there's so much diversity within it that I think to be able to focus, there's been so much conversation as an industry of the Shehala Mountains AVA and even breaking things out into sub AVA's that to really be able to focus even more on this, AVA will be amazingly educational, but also... Really, a great expression for our wines. Um, our entry-level wine will now be, you know, Chehalium Mountain wine. So from solely that AVA, which I think will be a great thing to show the world, kind of from well, from Oregon, the Chehalem Mountains AVA can give you mm-hmm. this range, but also this quality of wines. Mm-hmm. Um, in the future, I do. I mean, I do find it extremely valuable to work with estate fruit because you do get to see that pulse a little more throughout the year. And so, I really only see like over the course of time those like wines becoming more tweaked or fine tuned, but not extremely different. Just more having us having more knowledge about them as well. Um, so I see that kind of changing. But other than that, I mean, the labels changed. We had a brand to change this year. So that's exciting that will come out. Um, I think with the new group, just getting some new equipment that we needed to get in the past um, will be extremely helpful with kind of tweaking those things just a little bit more um, just to help the quality just slightly. You know, no. Big changes, but just like things that will help keep things more um, quality-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: And what about the future of the the industry in general, the Oregon wine industry? Where do you see it heading in the future? Where do you where do you see it heading, and where do you kind of hope it goes?
0: Um. Yeah, I think. Obviously the Oregon wine industry is changing and there are a lot of players coming into Oregon that are buying land. Um, I think depending on who comes in, it's really up to them how they choose to be a part of the community and Oregon. For example, when Jackson family came into Oregon, you know they have so many wineries now and so much land. But they've done an amazing job integrating themselves into the community. And they aren't seen as this California winery that came in and really changed things. You Mm -hmm. know, they saw the benefit of the Oregon industry and really wanted to help it in a way. Um, I can say that I feel the same way about even the Stoller Wine Group. I am a part of a place that has now been acquired by someone larger. even I mean, he was a silent partner for the duration of the whole time, but I really believe that Bill Stoller and everyone else involved in the Stoller Wine Group, their goal is to continue keeping the Oregon thread. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our winemakers and viticulturists are on panels and a part of discussions of how do we keep Oregon, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're kind of at a pivotal Moment in these next, you know, five to 10 years, things don't move extremely quickly in the wine industry, but that it can go where people come in and buy out and it's just, you know, big, a big wine making Country that loses its like essence, or places can continue buying these really well-renowned wineries and going. We want to help you succeed even more. And what do you need from us to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's what I've seen more than the big the big guys coming in and trying to change what has already been established here. Even a lot of the you know French owners that come and buy some of the wineries there, they want. They come here because they like what Oregon has to offer, and they only want to continue that and be a part of it going forward. They're not looking to come in and like reshape it. Mm-hmm. So I hope that continues, but I can—it's a fine line, and I can see it going extremely the other way as well. Um, so I hope that it stays where people really want to keep the essence and not lose that and we'll see you about the other guys.
1: Sure. Yeah. So you're kind of early in your career still. Still. So what, as you look down the road, if you're assuming you were here for the next 20 or 30 years making wine, what are the challenges you see coming for the industry in general? And for like yourself and your role specifically, what are the, what are the obstacles between Oregon and, and greater success?
0: Um, definitely weather. If it continues to, st- I mean, We've been on a heat wave Mm -hmm. for the last few vintages since 2012. And it's looking like that will continue Um, every year when it says it's going to be kind of a cooler climate. It's still very hot compared to what Oregon used to be. So if that's the case going forward, um, I think we will come into some major conflicts of how do we farm this? What do we do? I mean, Oregon really. Likes the fact that a lot of their vineyards are dry farmed, that we don't need to irrigate. um, But Our philosophy really might have to change if these hot vintages start happening. Um, Also the grapes that have been planted here for years are cool climate grapes and that's what Oregon has grown on is these cool climate varietals but also their aspect of a cool climate varietal and it's beautiful and lovely and if that changes the style of the wine will change and how do you um, try to balance both like how do you keep that um, texture or aromatics without it becoming big jammy um, hot Pinot Noirs that's going to be a major I think issue I think even for Shehalem, with some of our aromatic whites um, the cool, cool climate, cool fermentation, I think is what really holds a lot of that in there. If it's really hot and a lot of alcohol, that's gonna blow off those aromatics a lot quicker. So it's being cognizant that this could be an issue and what do we do about it going forward? And that is scary and um, will be a challenge, definitely. Um, I think, other factors, Oregon's getting well known, so there is a lot of talent coming up here and a lot of people that just know what they're doing, so it's getting more and more saturated. Mm-hmm. So, to find a position in Oregon, you know, if you're wanting to start out, is becoming more and more difficult and um, cutthroat in trying to find your own place here, which is great for the industry, but hard to like get the right people or whoever the right people are into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and then just I think it's going to be important if I'm in this for 20, 30 years continuing to be on panels or... um, staying very connected to the community. OSU, Linfield have an amazing relationship with the industry as a whole. So really trying to harness that and keep that and go, this isn't just you know about this wine industry, it's about the community and what that is in the bigger picture, whether with OSU it's really helping their science program find ways of what they're researching, <coughs> excuse me, being really applicable to the day-to-day on the winery, on the wine side, or whatnot. Um, but I think as it gets bigger and more people come here, that will become even more exciting and important to stay a part of mm-hmm. as it grows. So, a few things definitely to be looking out for, but to be like hopefully not shocked when it comes that we need to do something about it, sure. or work with it, or evolve with it, sure. whatever one
1: works best. <laughs> sure. So that's all the questions that I have okay. for you. Um, uh, is there anything I should have asked? Anything you'd like to mention here at the end that we didn't cover?
0: I don't think so. Those are great questions. Is there anything? No. I think you handled it great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think so. I think it covered a lot for sure. I mean, you guys have done this all the time. I'm sure, like I said, if there was something else that I missed, hopefully, or... Mentioned that you would have asked a question about it.
1: Yeah, I think we got it. So cool. Thank you so much. Yeah for your time and for your answers. Yeah, and, absolutely uh, We'll go ahead and let you off the hook Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast and thank you to all the supporters partners donors and interviewees who have made our project a success Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews plus photographs wine labels and more and Stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.